Hey guys, Hassle Cattle Company is the absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas. They ship all over the country and straight to your door. They call their beef the blue-collar Wagyu. Why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu beef that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company, they offer everything, every type of Wagyu meat that you could want. Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank, two jerky flavors. They even have jerky. Their hamburger on Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Uh, not only do we love our beef, love their beef, we love our beef as well. Uh, the country loves their beef. These guys take their registered bulls and breed them with Angus cows, giving you that a very high prime product that is grown with zero antibiotics and hormones. Check them out at HassleCattleCompany.com. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L CattleCompany.com. Use promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. Any orders over $200, you will receive free shipping as well. Check them out today, HassleCattleCompany.com. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, Adam Matez. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Harrison Wynn. But to start things off today, I want to play an excerpt from the Keep It at 1000 podcast, a conversation between me and Coach George Carl. It's a completely separate podcast that we've been doing here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. podcast network or dnvr podcast network it doesn't no longer goes into the dnvr nuggets feed last year i did that during the playoffs george and i we had some great conversations but now it is its own separate podcast feed and i want to get everybody going to subscribe to that one because i promise you you are not going to want to miss the conversation we had topics include michael porter jr and why coach carl is impressed with how he has handled himself this season and why he thinks that the approach Michael Malone is using on him is so important and will pay off huge dividends for the Nuggets uh, and for Michael Porter himself for years and years to come. I know a lot of fans are nervous about how things are going. Is he going to ask out or demand out? Coach Carl sees it completely differently. He thinks this is a great opportunity, a great situation for Michael Porter to really grow in a way that's meaningful. So you're going to want to check that out. He also talks about Nikola Jokic and just where he, the level he's playing at. What is different? George Carl always has different perspectives than you know the layperson or, or myself, analyst. As a coach and somebody that's been there, he has these unique insights that once you hear him, you kind of start to see things a little bit differently. And he has an insight about why he thinks Nikola Jokic is so different. And he also talks to coaches around the league and asks them, you know, what's your game plan? Or coaches will come to him and say, hey, how do I stop this guy? And George Carl has really interesting answers about that. He also compares, because I asked him to, DeMarcus Cousins and Nikola Jokic. You're not going to want to miss that. And then finally on the show, we talk about Andre Miller, a former Denver Nuggets player, somebody that Coach Carl has, has called one of his favorite players to coach, and he just kind of reminisces about him and talks about what made him so good. So you're going to want to check out um, the entire episode. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else. But here's a nice 10-minute excerpt uh, of that show that I think you'll find interesting. All right, so I want to ask you about Jokic. He's won two Player of the Week awards in a row. I, I, it's... It's nice to see him being recognized because it was a slow build for him. And I think it was a good – you talk about Michael Porter and the patience of things had to go through a certain order. I think when players receive too much hype early on, the criticism whenever they fail can swing too far the other way. I think we're seeing this with Luka Doncic a little bit. Fantastic young player. Maybe got too much praise early. Now he's getting too much criticism early. Jokic has reached that sweet spot where I think he flew under the radar so long that people are starting to come to appreciate just what he's doing this year, which is 
in my opinion, some not just the best basketball of his career, but I think raising the expectations of what people thought his ceiling could be. I think people had a cap on his ceiling of, okay, he's a really nice player, but you know, he's not a, he's not a hall of famer. He's not a top he's playing like a guy, in my opinion, and I'm curious your thoughts. He's playing like a guy that is making people realize he's not just another good player. He might be special when we look at the era. Am I going too far with that? I think you're going a little too far because of the value of the big man. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think if, if Jokic would be playing this 10 years ago, yeah. I mean, Jokic should be called, you know, the Chris Webbers and the Lottie Divaches and, you know, the great passing centers, the guys that the game played through, through big guys. Um, they, they were loved. They were given a lot of love. And, and I think a lot of that was because, you know, the big man was more important than anybody on the court. Everybody had to have a big guy. Today's game is everybody's got to have a LeBron James. Everybody's got to have a, a guard that can make things happen. You know, you need a player out there that can get a triple-double on any given night that they play. And big guys usually don't fall in that category, but Jokic does. And, I, you know, I've always said that you don't need big men in a lot of NBA games. Mm. You don't need the big men in a lot of NBA games. But what you do need is players. Right. And the best player in an NBA game is a big man that can be a playmaker, that can be that can play multiple positions, that can can play the game in flow and rhythm and create it for his teammates. And that's what you got with Jokic. I mean, Jokic is by far their number one playmaker on their team. And I think what's wonderful about it is he loves that responsibility and the players respect that responsibility. Right. There's not much jealousy. No one, no one on that team thinks they're even close to Jokic in a playmaking role. Right. Uh, and, and so they give them the ball when it's close. They give them the ball when it's, you know, when they want to get a basket, they give it to him because they'll back cut or come off them hard or spot up right. The ball's delivered on time on target. And he's a mar he's a marvelous player. I mean, the basketball fan at Denver has got to really be happy right now because that kid is, you know, in a game that's being sped up, the game is being played faster than ever. The pace of the game has gotten going to more athletic speed and jumpers, length, everything that Jokic isn't. Right. And he's, he's finding stardom in the, in the game that is so much more athletic than it's ever been. So many young kids out there trying to learn how to play the game the right way. This guy plays in slow motion. He never gets he never gets rushed. He makes great. I mean, he's actually turning the ball over more. And I think it's good because he's going to get better at it. I think in the end, you know, instead of having five or six turnovers a game, he'll get down to three, maybe four. But his decisions, the vast majority of his decisions are effective, efficient, and effortlessly. And I mean, this guy doesn't exist in the NBA. Right. And that you you mentioned Luca, and he's kind of the same way. You know, he doesn't play fast. Right. He kind of plays with a rhythm, a flow, a knowledge. Uh, um, and I, you know, the thing that both of them gotta realize is that every coach out there and every player out there is trying to figure out how to cover this guy. I mean, as much as they have to continue to get better. I think the mental part of their game is something that Jokic has added this year mm. 
his mental toughness to be the star. Right. I mean, last year we saw games where you could see he was rejecting the responsibility. Love this. You don't see that very much anymore. I mean, how many times is he coming out and getting 15 in the first quarter? I mean, as a coach, that's a fun thing to have in your back pocket when your best player is there and you know you can pull back a little bit. But if you need to put the put the put the pedal down, you can put the pedal down too. I kind of want you to speak more to this because I this is such a fantastic point with Jokic this year. Is we've all known for years that he was capable of scoring twenty points in a quarter or going off it for forty points. We knew he's capable of it. It just felt like he always wanted to make the right play, but the least favorite play that he liked to make was the scoring play, going to that well over. This year, it really does seem like finally he doesn't care if you're going to put. A smaller guy on him. If you're gonna for you know cover the perimeter, then he's gonna attack you. And to me, that is a mental thing. It's it's not just a taking what the defense gives you. It's a mental thing that says if you're gonna do this, I'm gonna ram- I'm I'm gonna kick down the door and run through it and get 20 points. And he's done that so frequently this year. And not once has he not done that. I think more important than doing it is he's never not done that. He's never had a game with two shots or five shots or whatever. And to me, that is a big mental change. And I, I'm just curious. For uh, for me, as somebody that never played the game at a high level like that, it seems like, well, why wouldn't he always do that? But players do struggle with this development curve. And I'm just curious what insight you have to a young player finally accepting that responsibility. Well, my analysis is totally different than your analysis from because from the standpoint is Jokic, I think, respects how hard it is to score points in the NBA. Yep. And Young players come into the league, they think they're going to be scorers. And they about 90% of them learn what they got to figure out how to be in this league because of another reason, because they're not good enough. Right. Yep. And what you see most of the time with young players who try to be scorers early in their career is a burnout. They, they hit a wall, they get cut, they get traded, or they fail. And they got, they got to come back in a different personality. Jokic has made small steps to be more efficient as a scorer because he doesn't like to be an ineffective scorer because he doesn't like to he doesn't like to hurt the team if he's not playing well. And as a as a role player, that's cool, right? But as your most talented player on the court, it, it gets frustrating when you, a coach needs you to do more and you can't get him to do more. So he's kind of done it totally different than 90% of the league does. He has become a scorer by learning the little intricacies of the game in the manner that he likes to play the game. And that is, it's unusual. I mean, usually the guy that, you know, like, you know, like the Wiseman kid and and Golden State, I mean, he's going to be a good player. Right. He's got a lot of skills, but big guys usually force it and fail and then they got to learn again and they force it again and fail you know kind of slow danced it into being every year he's gotten a little bit better and this year he's blown up i'm going to start stealing the uh, slow danced it because i just think that's a great way to kind of describe his his growth as a score he slow danced his his rise as a score somebody asked me this week or actually i should say they didn't ask me somebody put this out on twitter that and, and i just have to push back and i don't know i don't mean to put you actually i do mean to put you in an uncomfortable spot Somebody compared DeMarcus yeah. Cousins at his peak to Nikola Jokic playing at the level he is right now, which I think is at Jokic's peak to date at least. 
and I thought it was absurd personally. I think Jokic is for skill set, whatever. They're both incredibly talented, but the impact Jokic has night in and night out is not comparable. And I'm curious, as somebody that gets to watch Jokic up close and somebody who coached DeMarcus Cousins, how you would compare those two. I'm on your side on this one. I mean, that's that's a sad comparison. Whoever brought that comparison to the table doesn't understand negative energy and the forces of losing and uh, a player that has had a history of being like a heavy weight on his team most of his career compared to a player like Jokic who has lifted, you know, a team that was struggling to make the playoffs into now a team that has a chance maybe to be a championship contender. And that comparison, you know, skill-wise, I can see your comparison. DeMarcus is a good shooter. DeMarcus can score big numbers. DeMarcus has great hands. But the, the, the negative energy that DeMarcus brings to a game almost on a daily basis doesn't even exist in Jokic's. Jokic is a positive energy guy. He's lifting guys up. He's making average players good. He's making good players special. I mean, it's, I mean that energy with DeMarcus, DeMarcus didn't like sharing the spotlight. You know, you know, and, and Jokic loves sharing the spotlight. I mean, there's so many intangibles in the sport. It's making me throw up, to be honest with you. I mean, I can't even believe I'm talking about it. So, guys, no matter if you are a first-time freshman, you're just going to college for the first time, maybe you're looking to finish up your degree or go back to school and get a second degree, MSU Denver Online is – a great option, really the perfect option for any type of student. If you're working a part-time job on the side, uh, the teachers at MSU Denver Online, they can work with you. They can work around your schedule. They can cater their classes to your needs. Uh, they're awesome. I took a class with MSU Denver Online last summer. It was a great experience. You can check out their entire course list at msudenver.edu backslash online. And like I said, it's a great option for any type of student. They have awesome teachers who know how to teach online and get information and course content to you in a really engaging manner. Uh, so check out their entire course list, msudenver.edu backslash online. As you also may know, Infinity Park right here in Glendale, Colorado is known as Rugby Town USA. In fact, the facility was recently designated the Rugby Town National Training Center, which is home of the U.S. Eagles men's and women's rugby 15s teams. The training center is experimenting with new concept training, crossover athletes to be rugby players. Guys like Galen Robinson, who played in the AAF and XFL, Son of Glenn Big Dog Robinson, Gerald McDowell, former defensive lineman at Ole Miss, and the Calgary Stampeders of the CFL. They got tons of athletes there. And that, that trend is growing and growing across the United States. These tremendous athletes have made the switch to be trained up at Infinity Park right here in Colorado to become the next it factor in American rugby. So check out Infinity Park over in Glendale, Colorado, and the types of training uh, that they offer there. Also, check out the DNVR Rugby Podcast with Colton Strickler, keeping it locked on everything that has to do with rugby here in the great state of Colorado. Subscribe to it, download it, give it a five-star review, the DNVR Rugby Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts from. All right, segment two here of the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Hopefully you enjoyed that excerpt from the Keeping It 1000 podcast. I, those have been so fun to record and getting George's insights. You know, I knew he'd be good, but 
the way that he provides so many different perspectives that like I, I hadn't even thought of. And then once he says them, like, I can't shake them. Like I, like I see the game differently that it just happens in every episode. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I'm joined now by my partner in crime here, Harrison Wynn, man with the wind in his hair. What's going on, buddy? You look exhausted. <laughs> Do I? Well, I'm glad we're not doing this live because I don't think I've showered today. So, <laughs> you the world's not seeing me in this state. That's so true. The, the, the hair, it's all a lie. If you guys only knew what he looked like before he, he does it all up. Um, in the, Next couple segments here to round out the show, um, we're going to be doing some superlatives. We're 20 games into the season, almost one-third, not quite one-third, just shy of one-third of the season, and I think it's a good chance to kind of give some superlatives. I was talking on Twitter today. Tell me if you are if you agree or disagree with this. I'm a little annoyed at the MVP conversation, and like we've done it. We've already talked about who's the MVP, but once you talk about it and then you know, Embiid has a big night tonight. It's like, well, Embiid's the MVP, then LeBron has one. Like, And I just feel like we're doing this after every game. And I'm like, you know, maybe every 20 games or so, we'll check in on the MVP. But we don't have to do this every night. Well, yeah, it's just exhausting because now it's an everyday discussion. Oh, Jokic had a great game last night. He's the MVP. Oh, right. Jokic had an off night. Joel Embiid was dominant. Yeah. He's dominant. Now he's the MVP. Right. Like, are we really going to do this every single day for the next four months? Probably, you know. <laughs> probably, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> but I'm with you. It's it's exhausting. Um, it, it is exhausting, and it's weird though too because like it is we're in that weird spot. We talk about the coastal bias and how like we have to sort of like trumpet Denver athletes because if we don't, no one will. So there is this level of like we can't punt the conversation. We can't just let. The, you know, the the people along the coast, the Ramona Shelburne's to set the narrative and this or that, because they're always going to set it for LeBron or Anthony Davis or, or whatever big storyline they want. So there is like a responsibility we have. But at the same time, man, I just can't do it day by day, game by game. Like we got a Jokic is awesome. He's been incredible. He's an MVP candidate right now, in my opinion, number one. And nothing that happens over the next four games can change that. So I'm just going to take a little four game. We'll check up again maybe in four games briefly. Um, but I predict they'll be very good. Wait, so you don't think LeBron having to overcome courtside Karen? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, you know what's worse? You know the worst part about that story is that, you know who – allegedly Anthony swears that LeBron has a burner account that follows him. And lo and behold, last night, Anthony Irwin, my partner on Locked On NBA on Fridays, Anthony Irwin, he uh, tweeted out courtside Karen something or other. And then it was like an hour later that LeBron tweeted it out. So Anthony is pretty convinced that he has uh, he's coined that term. What was the other one? Oh, Washed King. He also coined that one, and LeBron ran with it. So LeBron, big Anthony Irwin Le fan. LeBron, LeBron didn't just run with Washed King. He almost officially changed his given name to Washed King. <laughs> hashtag washed king oh my god i don't i think this means you could take all of your you know if you needed one more reason to dislike lebron or anthony to be honest with you like it's a great <laughs> great reason for both um but we're going to get into these nba superlatives um or actually not nba superlatives denver nuggets superlatives and of course these are you know things we've enjoyed the most so far most of these are looking back a couple of them are looking forward my first one for you harrison it's a fun one it's a softball what is the most enjoyable part of the season so far? What has been the most enjoyable part of the season? It's definitely been Nikola Jokic's dominance. And we talked a lot about this before the season. We all expected to have 
him to have a great offensive season. I, of course, predicted the Nuggets to have the best offense in NBA history. And uh, just to check up on that, they are trending that way. Uh, they do pretty yeah. much have the same offensive efficiency as the Dallas Mavs had last year, which was the best offensive of all time. <laughs> but the only problem is the Nuggets are fourth in offense, and the Bucs so also have the best offense in NBA history right now. Uh, and we all thought Jokic was going to have a great year. Uh, he's never had this much offensive talent around him. We all thought he'd be super efficient, but I mean, 27 points a game, it, that, that's a jump that none of us saw coming. We thought he would lead the Nuggets in scoring, you know, maybe 21, 22, maybe 23 points a game. But going from 20 points a game to 27 points a game is a monster jump. And, and what he's done and how he's done it, he's done it so easily. I yeah. mean, even the 47 against Rudy Gobert the other night, it was so easy. Oh, I got Rudy Gobert in the post. Oh, let me back him down. Little uh, left shoulder fake, little uh, right-handed jump hook. Oh, I got a small on me. Take him up to the top of the key, pick and roll and confuse the defense. Uh, Just the level that he is operating at is so freaking high right now. Mine is also, I'm curious, is it a superlative if we both agree on it? I don't know. And I wonder how many of these we're going to have the same answer. But it, it's the same for me, too. It's Jokic's sort of ascension, his his aggression and dominance and, and confidence just going to whole, whole new levels. And, you know, one way that that has really manifested itself is that Jokic has been in a real shooting slump for like five games. He had like a five-game shooting slump. And of course, over the last two games, he shoots, I don't know, 18 three-pointers or something like that. Like, he just doesn't care anymore. Like, I, I think in years past, he would talk about like, oh, my shot's a little off or my post game's not working. I'm not going to go to it. Like, he seems to know that all of those things, slumps, hot streaks, they all come and go, but his like average is going to be an elite. And he just has this calmness about him. When he misses a shot, doesn't care, keeps going. If they put a small guy on him, not passing, I'm going right at him. Like, he just is going from... He's gone from a guy who scores when he has to to a guy that like almost takes a little play. I think watching that Utah game, I think there was a little pleasure he took in scoring the basket, it, it, the basketball more so than I think we've seen from him too too often. So he's become a bully. Um, one of the things I like to look at, you know, I always compare him to Larry Bird. Larry Bird's career arc, the first three games of his career, basically 21 to 23 points per game, started to climb a little bit, and then boom, right by his, what I think is statistically his best season, or, or at least very close, 1984-85 season, it was his sixth season, same, like, same with Jokic, his sixth season, he goes from 24 points per game up to 29, and then he stays around that level for the next four seasons, which are like, his, he goes from the what was a good, a very good scorer to an elite scorer. And he just hung out there until basically he was on the decline. And I've always thought, I don't think Jokic is going to do that. But this is the year where I'm like, oh, he's there. He's at 27 points. Like, I could see him going higher. I don't know that he necessarily has to, but he's capable of it. And I just never knew if he would be capable of it. I, I feel like that's been answered definitively now. Definitely. And there's just been a, a switch that's been flipped in his head where if he was facing one-on-one -on -one coverage last season – yeah, he, he would look to go at his man a lot of times, but you know he would also still just look to be a distributor in, in those right. situations at times as well. Maybe wait for the late double and, and look to kind of move the ball that way. From the start of a possession, if he's getting single covered, he's going at his man. Right. And that's been a big reason why his points per game have jumped. And, and another area, and this is also comparable to Larry Bird, where I, I think he's – 
just made a big leap is just his command of the game. Yeah. Yeah. How he controls the Nuggets offense. We always talk about Jokic as this basketball computer and how he sees two, three, four moves ahead. Well, it's almost like he's seeing five, six, seven moves ahead. Now, his processing speed and capability ha- has taken a leap this season. It's, it's jumped up a level. Yeah. And it's a big reason for him making the leap. He's been six years of just absolute, like, bliss. Basketball bliss. I can't believe we we get this dude. From swinging from most enjoyable to least enjoyable. The least enjoyable aspect of this season so far. We might differ on this one. I'm curious. Well, I, I have a kind of a basketball one and a non-basketball one. My non-basketball one is just not being able to go to games live. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's totally changed just the amount of fun. I feel like I've had and maybe we've all had just kind of covering the team and being around the team. It's totally changed the dynamic of the season for me. Like I always tell people, I my favorite part about my day is going to work, is going right. to my <laughs> job, is going to the arena for a game. And it's just not the same this year. I, I know I've told you guys like how depressing it almost is going to watch games live this season, just how dead the atmosphere is how you're not looking forward to it to any anything close to the extent that you did in the past. Um, so, so that's been the least enjoyable aspect for me, um, just kind of feeling disconnected from the team. Because on a day-to-day basis in the normal world, you're yeah. at practice, you're talking with guys. It's just a totally different feel this year. People don't realize what a big difference that is, covering yeah. the team when you're inside. And people always ask, like, you know, how much does this matter? Like just being around the guys and seeing how they act, you just get so much more from it. Now there's so much less we don't know. And you really see fans connect dots that it's like, man, I have no idea. A lot of time fans connect dots that you're like, I know those dots don't connect, but you know, you can't say anything. And now I feel like we're there, you know, we're, we're on the outside and it's just like, I don't, you know, there's no way for to really know being around them. My answer is similar. I just said COVID in general, and this is a little bit cheating, but what I mean by that is, you didn't know with, you know, bringing the season back, how much you would really notice or think about the fact that we're in this apocalypse. But the truth is like, I feel like watching these games, the way that players, like the game got canceled the other day, right at tip off the way there's been so many players out and in and, and this is that, like, I don't know that you, it's always on the front of your mind. I feel in a way that I didn't necessarily expect this year. And that part has been a real, a real bummer to me. And I think even as we analyze the season, Everything we analyze about this year, we're going to make a lot of proclamations about, okay, the Nuggets need this or that team isn't actually as good as they think. I think so much of this is just going to come down to who is healthy and who had, you know, things that are beyond our control. And it makes me wonder the Nuggets being at that point in their development with this core where they have to make some major decisions. I wonder how much having last year inside a bubble and this year with no fans and all this weirdness, I wonder how much that was like robbed them of their ability to process what the team really is. For sure. I think the Nuggets are in that boat. I look at a team like Dallas, who is a generational franchise cornerstone, and like they obviously need to make a move and upgrade their roster in some way and add another piece, but you just kind of got to think to yourself, like, is it worth it to do that in this fake season where we could make that move, but then we have COVID ravage our team in the playoffs and, you know, it's not even worth it. So I remember at the beginning of the year, I was thinking like this season that, you know, there's so much anticipation, but it might just suck. (laughs) Do you think it sucked? 
Um, I don't think it sucked. No, me neither. It, it sucked. It, honestly, it's gone smoother than I thought it would. Yeah. To be honest, it, it has. Um, but yeah, th- there's just so many aspects that 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 just make it seem so unnormal. It, it, it's tough at times. People, because I do see some people on the timeline that are. I mean, look. Let's be honest. The Twitter timeline generally negative. Negative Nancys, complainers, whiners. I think it's more whiners on the internet and on Twitter than than I ever would have guessed in the world. So a lot of people skew negative anyway, but I see a lot of people are like, this season's not worth it, not even having fun. And I watch it and I go, I mean, we still get competition. We still get Jokic. We still get all these great things and buzzer beaters and all this. Like, it's unfortunate, but to me, I still feel like it's it's worth chugging her along. The biggest surprise of the season so far, this could be a player, it could be a thing, it could be whatever, whatever it is, you would say the biggest surprise. I have down how valuable Jermichael Green has been. Mm, it's a good one. So I, I thought Jamichael Green was going to be an important part of this team. Um, like yeah. seventh or eighth man guy playing 20 minutes game, which, which is about what he's averaging, funny enough. But I, if you look at kind of how the Nuggets have been trending, they've been a different team since Jamichael Green got yeah. back in the lineup. A completely yeah. different team. He, he missed the first, I believe it was four games of the season. And, and since January 1st, these numbers are um, – before last night but denver's 11 and 5 with the fifth best offense and the 10th best defense and, and right. the third net rating they're also the best uh rebounding team in the league i believe since then or, or second best so and i think a lot of that success obviously honestly just comes from jamichael green being back in the lineup he's been such a stabilizer on really both ends of the floor he's a 40 plus percent three-point shooter well over 40 percent he might you know be close to 50 percent still um, he knows his role so well. He can play with any type of lineup. He's just a high-end role player that knows how to play on good teams like he has in the past with the Clippers, and I feel like that's really important. Um, but he, like I said, has been such a stabilizer, such yeah. a stabilizer, and I don't know where this team would be without him. And that's a crazy thing to say because I did not think he'd be this impactful prior to the season. Yeah. I mean, the way he's fit in so well, it's, it's been incredible. And, you know, the question will always remain, does he, is he as versatile or this or that, but uh, as Jeremy Grant, but I just think I said coming into the season as a power forward, he was better than, than Jeremy Grant for the Nuggets. I think already I'm ready to say significantly better as a power forward. Like Jeremy Grant was kind of an iffy fit for most of the year at power forward. Michael Green, I mean, part of this is the way he's shooting, but even just personality, like I think all of those aspects have made him a perfect fit. And so to me, I, I'm with you. That is one of the biggest surprises other than, you know, I predicted he would fit. I didn't know if it'd be this well. My my surprise, my actual biggest surprise, and this is another one that I thought, but just not to the extent, and that is Michael Porter Jr. shooting. He's shooting 50% on the year from three. Last year, I think it was 44%. He's got 5.4 attempts per game right now, which is a healthy amount for the minutes he's playing. 26 minutes, he gets five and a half up. To be at 50% is insane. And to now look at his career, where I think as a career shooter, he's, I believe, above – he's at right at 44.3%. To be that through two, his first 200 three-point attempts is pretty impressive, man. And for me, I think there's still a million questions around Michael Porter Jr., but one question I don't have is just, like, as a shooter, he's elite. He had a quote today on Altitude Radio where he says he thinks he's the best shooter in the NBA. Oh. Like, 
I don't think that's accurate. He hasn't proven that yet, but you know what? Hell, he hasn't proven he's not. <laughs> he hasn't proven he's not the best shooter in the NBA. And that's, I know nobody outside of Denver would make that claim. I wouldn't stake my reputation on it, but we're another 60 games away from me saying, yeah, I think he might be the best shooter in the NBA. Yeah, and he's the type of guy who can take three weeks off and come in and still have that rhythm. Right. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. And it's funny. Another aspect of this is how long have we been, or maybe maybe not us, but just we in general been talking about, all oh, the Nuggets need like that knockdown shooter. They need that yeah. J.J. Reddick type. They need that Seth Curry type. Well, that's Michael Porter Jr., except he's 6'10", 6'11". You know, and he's also right. this incredibly uh, gifted offensive player in a lot of different aspects other than just shooting. And he's a great rebounder, yeah. too. You know, like he's that guy. I, I think yeah. I think it's like he is the Nuggets best shooter right now. And I think he will be in future seasons as well. Even more than Marcus Howard, my, my guy. I think he's even a better shooter than him, surprisingly enough. What's the most impressive thing about the season so far? Impressive. So my answer also has to do with Jokic on this one. And more specifically, it's just how he's absolutely carried the Nuggets. Um, yeah. The load that he shouldered night in and night out. Because if you're listing off like the Nuggets' five best players this season, who's number two on that list? I, I don't know. Right. Oh, it's it's still Murray, but it is it's Murray, but it's yeah, it is. But it's you're right that it's a it's a further gap than any of us anticipated in both directions. You didn't realize Jokic would rise this high. You didn't think Murray would start as inconsistent as he has. But yeah, right. And coming off the playoff run that they have, how exhausting that was. The two month off season. <laughs> so true. And for Nicole Jokic to just be this guy from. Night one of the regular season. This is the guy he's been through uh, from the first minute of the first quarter of the first regular season game this year. Oh. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. And you've seen how a short off season and how the playoff run last year has impacted other guys, I think. But no. Jokic has just trudged right on through and, and it's been incredible. Jokic is almost cheating on these lists. Like we almost needed a limit of one Jokic superlative because all the positive ones you could make a case for him. Um, the one I did was the, the chemistry of the starting lineup. And because it's crazy and people are so shocked by this, the starting lineup with Will Barton in there, the number one offense in the NBA, number one five-man unit. It's better than Kyrie and Kevin Durant and, and James Harden, like and Joe Harris. Like if you if you'd have told me that a lineup featuring Millsap, Barton, and Harris would be number one above all those guys, you'd say like no chance. But that just shows you we talked about the value of continuity. That's four years now of continuity with those guys. Um, and with Michael Porter, it's easy to sort of miss the forest for the trees when you, you talk about, well, he, ha he doesn't have it, this or that. You know, he's so young into all of this. And, and you can envision a scenario where by the end of this year, the start of next year, or even a, a season into it, his chemistry in the same vein as all, all those other five and then you think like, yeah, the, the possibilities are endless because he doesn't miss when he's open and he has so many other tools. So the chemistry, man, has just been, to me, has has been fascinating that it's continued even as Will Barton has been banged up. Gary Harris started not making any shots. Paul Millsap looks old. Even with all of that, they're still pretty dominant. Yeah, it's crazy. And I've got to think a lot of it has to do with just the history that 
that group has. I mean, that group yeah. has logged a ton of minutes and they've got a ton of mileage together over the last couple of years. They know each other inside and out. They know how to play off of one another. They know where everybody on that lineup likes the ball. They know everybody's spots. Like the trust with that five is, is crazy. So, um, yeah, um, I, I can't say I'm, I'm surprised by it, but uh, it definitely has been impressive. I'm surprised it's been this good. I mean, you're right that I expected it to be good. Well, I didn't expect it to play, to be honest with you. I thought that Michael Porter would be starting and there'd be no questions. Yeah. And But it's playing a, a lot. I think it's the fourth most used five-man lineup in the NBA, third or fourth, and it's the number one offense. It's, it's pretty incredible. Let's take a break. On the other side, we got more, including most disappointing, uh, most underrated story or player or whatever, most likely to improve, um, and something we're going to be talking about we haven't been talking about yet. But let's take our break first. Yeah, guys, make sure to check out the Mile High City Copper Lager from Breck Brew, as always. And Breckenridge Brewery is also doing uh, a special for Valentine's Day. Uh, Who's looking for a vanilla porter-themed meal? How about a dessert? Breckenridge Brewery has both. Half Bake Harvest has teamed up with Breck for Valentine's Day to give you guys the perfect Valentine's Day dinner. You've witnessed the famous RK special and many other mixtures via the tailgate. Now it's time for the professionals to take over and deliver a creamy brown butter mushroom chicken. Half-Baked Harvest uses Breck's vanilla porter in the cream sauce to add a richness when paired with buttery mushrooms. You can then serve it over fettuccine pasta to complete an easy one skillet dinner. So an awesome option uh, for Valentine's Day. And of course, no meal is complete without a delicious dessert. So they really go in for the kill with a vanilla porter molten chocolate cake. Head to Breck's Twitter page or Instagram to check out the link in their bio for these delicious recipes and more uh, with Breck Brews. And treat yourself to an incredible uh, Valentine's Day dinner. Less than two weeks away, Valentine's Day. So, Mm. uh, fellas, fellas, get on it if you haven't already. Make plans. Have something ready to go. Do you have plans, Harrison? Do you already have plans? I do have plans, but uh, of course... One of the first dates I always check when the schedule comes I know. out. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> I know that you're playing the Lakers. <laughs> but uh, I think we're doing dinner the night before on the third. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. Uh, also, guys, from DraftKings, the 55th big game is this weekend. 55, a game this big deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. To finish off the football season, DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app is giving all players a no-brainer of an offer. Celebrate the football finale. DraftKings Sportsbook is doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in the big game. That's right. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored Sunday night, and boom, your money is double. This is another no-brainer from DraftKings, guys, so get on this. Just need one touchdown to be scored and your money is doubled. Make sure to download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in Sunday's game. That's promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money during Sunday night season finale. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado-only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook. Uh, see DraftKings.com slash prediction dash challenge dash DFS for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings. So now we got into a couple, a little bummer one here. The most disappointing thing about the season so far. Can be a player, can be a stat, can be an item, whatever whatever you think. Yeah, it's probably been Jamal Murray just not making that leap. Mm. And 
I thought this was going to be the season it happened. Uh, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have just because of the short off season and how much he expended physically and mentally in the bubble. But it definitely seemed like the stage was set for him to make that leap. And, and as we've talked about on you know the post game and pregame show, his stats look identical to to last season or almost identical and even to the season before the last three years his counting stats look really really similar and look i think the injuries probably have a lot to do with it he hasn't been healthy since after the third game i think against the rockets is when he initially hurt that elbow so that definitely has a big thing to do with it but and i was just talking about like who's the nugget's second best player so far this season it's probably murray but i don't think it's clear cut and that's crazy. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, but just him not making the leap, I think, has been a disappointment. I, to me, it's his consistency. So, I mean, we kind of made the same thing. It's not even the leap part of it. It's just that his bad, his low parts are like his quarters where he disappears or just kind of looks like he doesn't have it or can't figure this out or that out. Like, they're just still here. here and his highs continue to remain like insane. I, I think we've actually been maybe too hard on Murray. Like he's, I, I think he's clearly been the second best player for the Nuggets. So I, I think it can be overstated, but I, there is something fair. And I think it is fair. Like Jamal Murray considers himself a superstar. Jamal Murray considers himself the player he was inside the bubble. So I don't think it's unfair to like ask or, or assume that, you know, that he should have been that or should be that this year. And, and I do think that it has a little bit to do with the short off season and, and the way he approached it and, you know, another thing I do wonder, and George Carl is big on this, he's at his best when he scores. And if you really think about the bubble, what made him so great was his scoring. I mean, his scoring outbursts. And it does make me wonder sometimes if Denver's real best sort of bet moving forward is to put somebody on that just handles all those duties. It's funny because he wants to be a point guard, but I wonder what that means. Like he wants to dribble the ball up, let him. Like he even without a point, even if you put another point guard by him, let him. It, it's really more about who steadies the ship and and finds guys and and can do all this different stuff. If you just let him score on uh, focus on scoring, I kind of have a feeling that he would he would be more consistent. Jamal Murray's favorite player is Steph Curry. It's his yeah. favorite player in the league, and I've always thought that he wants to be Steph Curry two point Like that's. Mm-hmm guy he models a lot of his game after like of course every point guard wants to be Steph Curry but like Jamal is a huge Steph Curry guy and I think like that's who he wants to be but yeah I I wonder if there is something to that um here's something I've been thinking about with him and he's even said this a little bit do you think any of the games that he's had where he has a big first half and he's so quiet in the second half or, or he, you know, doesn't score a lot in the first half and comes alive in the second half. Do you think any of that is him just actively trying to be a pass first guy and get others involved? Because he has said some things this year where he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to run my team, get everybody involved, get our chemistry, a lot of new guys. Is there anything to that? Yes, I think there is, but this is my point. And actually, this is part of what has fueled this. And it's even last year when he talked about those fourth quarters. It was, you know, I'm not looking to score as much until the end. And then I got I got to pick my spots because I can't just shoot the whole time. I, I wonder if you just took that responsibility off of his plate to where it's like, Jamal, you don't need to think about who hasn't gotten a shot or, 
you know, whether the floor is balanced or the, like, you don't need to think about anything other than are you open attack, run, pick and roll with yoke, get the ball back, run your two man game. That's not going anywhere, but let somebody else worry about everything else and take, you know, I always think about, you know, Chris Paul, obviously he's not there, but if you had a Chris Paul, like a Chris Paul is the type of player that would run over and get the ball out of Jamal's hands and say, Hey, we need a possession of this. Let me do it. Never make, never ask Jamal Murray to think about it. He just goes, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I was just thinking about scoring in it. And I do think that would, that would help him. So just something to monitor. I, I do think he's been banged up. He's had some really high highs. So I, like I said, I think we can easily overstate how good or bad Murray has been. But I, I did expect just a little bit more so far, and I'm curious to see if it comes in the next 20 games. Speaking of which, most underrated player through 20 games, in your opinion? Monte Morris. Mm. Um, yeah. Monte Morris. And we've had him pretty highly rated uh, throughout this season, I feel like. But just in the NBA universe, he's definitely underrated still. And I think we've underrated him this year, though, because we haven't talked about him as much as usual. I mean, I've tried to give him a ton of praise whenever I could because I think he's been that important. Uh, his, his minutes are way up this year compared to last year. He, he's uh, closed a ton of games. He's just been so reliable. And um, we were always talking about before this season, he's so consistent, he's so steady. How does he get better? Well, he's gotten better finishing at the rim. Uh, you can tell he's worked on that. He's gotten stronger which has helped that aspect of his game and other aspects as well. So I think he's really improved and wow. he's just been so steady. And I think he's going to be a guy who we see on the floor at the end of games a lot this season. So there's only one stat and I have, I have a theory about this. There's only one stat that he is like meaningfully different than before or like lower than before. And I think it's the reason we haven't talked about him more and that's three point percentage. Like there's some stats that just like we taught we maybe overvalue a little bit because he's finished at the rim better. His overall field goal percentage is better. His effective field goal percentage is the best ever. Um, so like all these things are good, but his three point percentage is down. Career average thirty nine. He's down at thirty four. I think that's the only reason. <laughs> I think like when we look at stats, that's like one of the ones that pop out. But I had Monte too. We just haven't. I feel like his name hasn't come up a lot, but he continues to be so steady. Um, so, so I think the reason why his three-point shooting is down, he's taking about one more three per mm. like 36 minutes or per 100 possessions this year. And I think Monte is really bought into what Michael Malone talked about at the beginning, beginning of the season. Oh, we want to shoot more threes. Uh, right. You know, we have a quicker trigger from three because he's taking threes this year that are more tightly contested and are ones that he wouldn't take last year. So I, I wonder if that is a reason for that dip. Interesting theory. I think maybe even just playing alongside all the mini lads, like playing alongside three other ball handlers, he's just found himself in those spots a little bit more. But something to keep an eye on. Most likely to improve the most over the next 20 games. This could be a player. It could be a stat. It could be an individual thing, whatever. Uh, Faku Composo. Oh, Faku. wow. Okay. And my thinking That's here is one. this. He's got an opportunity right now with P.J. Dozier out of the lineup, with Gary Harris out of the lineup, to play the most minutes and have the biggest role that he's had so far this season. And I think Faku is a guy who's almost better when he's in more of a central role and not playing like only eight to ten minutes a game. Right, right. I think you can say this for a lot of guys too. When they yeah. have a, a bigger leash, when they have a more defined role, they're just going to be more comfortable – 
and, and the game's going to slow down for him. And I think a big thing with Falk over the first couple weeks of the season was like, he was just going too fast. He needed to, he, he needed to settle down. And I, I think he's going to be able to do that with this role he's going to have without Gary, without PJ, at least for a couple games, it seems like. So I, I think we could see him settle in a bit. I think yours might be more accurate than mine. I, I put in PJ, which feels like the obvious answer, but I think Composo, you're right. The circumstances lend for it. I do think with Michael Porter, I do feel like there's going to be a a stretch, a 20 game stretch where it all starts to click and he goes off like it happened last year in January. I feel like we're due for a January uh, with Michael Porter at some point. I don't know if it's this month, but I do think it's coming. And, and when that happens, he'll, his, ability to improve and really shine over a 10 game stretch just far out past it you know everybody else that's maybe struggling right now that's the only reason i haven't but i don't know if it's coming just yet i think we might be in for six seven more games of struggle before we get there most likely to regress over the next 20 games you have a candidate here um i i you can you go first on this one i've yeah come up with one so mine was my um is Jamichael Green's three point percentage because I think he's a good three point shooter and I think he's a good player. I don't think he's going to regress much as a player, but he is shooting forty seven percent. And Michael Porter shooting fifty, he'll probably regress a little, but I think it'll be good. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a stretch, a month long stretch with Jamichael Green where he was thirty five percent. Like forty seven percent feels like a hot streak that is bound to regress. I agree. Uh, he is a. At least when Jamichael Green shoots threes, I'm more confident that his threes are going to go in than it's Jeremy smooth. were last year. Yeah. You know, like Jeremy Grant always had such a mechanical release, and those threes went in. Um, but I, I feel way more confident with Jamichael Green uh, yeah. shooting from three. Do you have one? Do you think of one? You don't have to have one. The last topic's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I like that one. On the topic of guys in their three-point shooting percentages, I would be pretty surprised if P.J. Dozier finished the season right, as a 40-plus right. percent yeah. three-point shooter. I mean, he's at 40.5% from three right now. Right. His shot looks better to me. The, the form looks better, but is he a 40-plus percent guy? Yeah. I don't so. I don't I, feel I, good when he takes him. Like I, I, He surprised me like 10 times this year already. We're right. like, oh, all right. Yeah, I, I bet that drops off. Yeah. Um, the last one, something we're not talking about just yet, but we're going to be talking about soon. So I went a bit off the board on this one. Um, I have <laughs> if, if the Nuggets are going to trade RJ Hampton or Zeke Naji. Man, we have the same thing here. So it was a little different. Mine was why keep so many so many prospects? We're not talking about that just yet. And I do think with injury comes opportunity and there's, you know, one of these guys will shine. But when you start going through it, there's injuries right now. RJ Hampton, Zeke Naji, Bobo, one of those guys, maybe two of those guys, maybe all three of those guys are actually not going to get bumped up. So at least one or two of them. And you have to think, well, if they're just not going to play. How many red shirt rookies do you actually need? And is it going to turn in i think everybody pictures it turning into a monte morris situation or a Jokic situation where you slow play him and then they grow up but it just as well might become a jared vanderbilt malik beasley situation where it's like yeah they're good but you never had room for them so why did you keep them around and and then you end up just selling them for for nothing anyway and 
the trade deadline in the next 20 games will, will be a, at least approaching, I don't, if not past. And I do think that that conversation will heat up if we go another 10, 15 games and none of those guys are getting real minutes. I think I saw a stat. I should have looked this up before the show. But I saw a stat on Twitter that Zeke Najee's played the least amount of minutes out right. of any first-round pick. I think I tweeted that, but it was somebody on Reddit was where I saw it. So I saw it on Reddit, yeah. Yeah. And to me – RJ Hampton and Zeke Naji seem like the two most likely guys to be thrown into the, to a, a trade package if Denver does make a move at the deadline. Um, m- mainly because I, I think they still want to hang on to Bull Bull. I, I think they're still really high on him. And I've got to think the Nuggets would be – I mean, can they even trade a first-round pick? If they can, I think they'd be hesitant to just with shipping one out to get RJ Hampton in that extra draft pick in this last draft. So if the Nuggets are building a trade package, I- I've got to think that one of those two guys would be at the center of it. Just, I, I got to think so too. I would say Mo- Zeke Naji and Bull, to me, I think they make a little bit of sense together. You, I don't Zeke Naji in particular, I think they thought would be a good fit, you know, with the, with the Nuggets as it is RJ Hampton and Bull a little bit more like feast or famine, you know, high upside, low, low floors. So, you got to think, I, I just don't know that the Nuggets can expect to cash in on all those lottery tickets, and they have to have learned from the the Beasley experiment, the the Vando experiment, the Wancho experiment, that sometimes you get those guys when they're high and, and, and you trade them out for a piece that you desperately need. And Denver does have things they desperately need, namely a wing defender. So that's it. That's it also for today's show, guys. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the Keeping It 1000 podcast with George Carl. You're not going to want to miss it. He has things in there about Michael Porter Jr. and why he is impressed with him right now. He has a hilarious segment in there in which I ask him to compare and contrast to Marcus Cousins and Nikola Jokic. You're not going to want to miss that one, I promise you. And a whole host of other things. If you're a fan of the Nuggets from back in the day, Andre Miller talk. He shares some Andre Miller stories, and and it's really great, so you're not going to want to miss that up. Uh, And then Harrison and I, we're going to be back again tomorrow previewing the the Lakers game. We may have a special guest tomorrow, fingers crossed. Not not sure we will or won't, but maybe we will. So you're going to want to stay locked to that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you all next time. Yeah, guys, before we get out of here, make sure to check out Green Mountain Dental Group. A lot of us here at DNVR, we go there to get our teeth cleaned, to get cavities filled. Some of us have gotten our wisdom teeth pulled. And also, if you or anyone that you know needs a job, Green Mountain Dental Group is actually looking for an experienced office manager or bookkeeper. It's a salary position with great benefits. Uh, The office manager's role is to organize and coordinate administrative duties and office procedures. So check out... uh, that job from Green Mountain Dental Group. They're great people there. Uh, It's a great place to work. And a lot of us, like I said, go there to get our teeth cleaned, to go to the dentist. So uh, check them out today. Give them a call 303-988-0711 or head to their website, greenmountaindentalgroup.com.